Well, hey everyone, my name is Ben, welcome. We are an amazing church that meets in literally thousands of locations. One of them is right where you are, whether you're holding the device or looking at your TV, or this weekend's historic because we're back in person as well. So whether you're online in person, man, I'm glad you're here. Really, really, really am. We're in a series called Wish You Were Here. Wish You Were Here is a reminder that God's calling us forward and there's someplace new for us to go. So we can literally say, I'm not just going through COVID, but that we're growing through COVID, that the distance we felt from each other isn't also just going to be the whole story like we're distanced also from God, right? So we can move forward in our faith. And so we've been practicing some New Year's revolutions, right? Not resolutions, because resolutions kind of are on our own power and they tend to mean that we're going to fail in them usually, but revolutions are small things that bring big, big change, right? Small things we can do that create room for a big God to be at work in our life. We started uh, through the month of January with fasting once a week. I want to thank everybody who jumped in on that. Hundreds and hundreds of us did, and I know there's some great stories from that. I'd say, you know what, we're going to probably do this again, maybe in the lead up to Easter. That was a really important move for a lot of us. So um, the second one we talked about as a revolution was just driving a stake in the ground and saying, I'm going to make weekly participation in worship a non-negotiable for me. I'm going to worship together, whether online or in person. I'm not going to skip it or go at it half-heartedly. That's a game changer for a lot of us. Third, we talked about just increasing my Bible intake. Like, Wherever you are, if it's five minutes a day or joining a group or finding ways, whether you're in the car to listen or read at home, Bible intake totally transforms us from the inside out. So, of course, it's a revolutionary thing. Last week, we talked about connecting and committing deeply in relationships that really matter, that can, where iron can sharpen iron, help us come out to be more like the person we're meant to be in life-shaping, life-changing, and life-giving relationships. Today, we're going to shift our focus a little bit. We're going to open our hearts to see really one of the most important ways we can be like Jesus and that we're called to be like Jesus. And if you really want to, if you want to be like Jesus, then we're going to talk about something today that honestly is one of the most important things we're all called to do as followers of Jesus. And yet I will say, I think in my own life and in the life of a whole lot of believers I know, I think it's one of the most neglected things. It's one of the most central things about Jesus' life, and yet it's one of the things that I think we struggle with the most. First, let me take you back. Rodney Stark is a renowned historian and sociologist, and he's done a lot of study on the rise and the flourishing of the early Christian movement. Um, like in the early centuries, right? And he's kind of looked at it when that period of time when the church literally just exploded, like just from a little backwater, no-count group of kind of a, a deviant offshoot sect of Judaism that grew and grew and sort of pressed into all strata of society until it literally encompassed the Roman Empire, including the palace itself. And he looks at it and he says, now why did that happen? Why did that happen? And then, and especially, he begins to notice that there were these pandemics that happened in those early centuries. Huge epidemics that were actually much worse than what we're experiencing right now. And yet, as you study that period of history, you realize that was the very time when the church thrived the most. I have prayed, 
I have hoped, I have said to you, that somehow I believe that in this time that we're in right now, God's not just going to enable us to sort of suck it up and get through it, but we're going to come out stronger. When I read Rodney Stark, I realized, oh my goodness, that's exactly what God's people have done before when we're faithful to the mission and hold on to Jesus. So he looked into this. Why? Why is it that this little offshoot band expanded precisely at a time when everything was falling apart in the whole world in the middle of these huge pandemics? Three things. Number one, they kept their hope in God. They kept their hope in God. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't start putting their hope in other solutions. They didn't hope the emperor would save them. They didn't, they didn't go after other, other things like that. They, they, they had seen Jesus go to a cross and, and, and they saw him rise again and they knew that if that was true, that the crosses that we would bear of our own would not be the end but just a way through and it helped them hold on to their hope in God. The second thing that we see when we look at it is that they held on to each other. They, they held on to the church. They were faithful and they had fellowship and they grouped up and stuck together in that whole iron sharpens iron thing and they sailed through that storm in a kind of tight, sort of deep fellowship that way. And then there's one more and this one is the one that might surprise you as much as it surprised me. The third thing they had, they, they held on to their hope in God, they held on to their love for one another but they had amazing love for outsiders like the outsiders, the people who weren't part of the church, people who were disrespectful of their faith, people who were disregarding of their God. They loved them. And they showed that love in practical ways, even in the middle of those epidemic surges. And I think it's amazing because, you know, when, when things are bad, when I'm hurting, I don't want to think about you. When things are tough is when we circle the wagons. It's when we kind of pull in and pay attention to our own. But instead, these people were so influenced by the sort of imprint of Jesus on their life that, you know what? They remembered maybe what he was like, that he always had this heart for outsiders, and they had that too. And so people who were kicked to the curb of life, just as Jesus would find them, they found them. People who were struggling and suffering and hurting they remembered who Jesus was and he was alive in them and so they had a concern for the outsider. And it just reminds us, you know, if you and me, if we want to be like Jesus, if you want to grow through COVID, that's what growing means is becoming more like Jesus and there's probably no way we need to be more like Jesus right now than, in, than to care for people who are outside of his love. This is our time. And you know, I think history is going to judge us by how well we keep our hope in God and cling to one another and care for the outsiders. That's how we're going to change the world. I think it's a big shift for us because let's be honest, it's been a difficult run. And just like in our personal lives, when everything's hard going on, you tend to think about yourself and it's been very easy. I think churches all across this country and individual Christians are thinking a lot about themselves and that's appropriate in some ways because it's been so hard. And one good outcome of this has been that 
people have called on the Lord more. You know, when you're desperate, you're going to, you're going to reach out for faith. And there's been a lot of faith come alive as people's sort of dormant relationship with God all of a sudden got real serious because, you know, things were falling apart and the props of false living sort of were exposed. And that's a good thing. And what's happened, and it's happened in my life, maybe it's happened in yours, we've gone to the good shepherd and said, thank you, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for being our shepherd and holding us. Have you ever felt like a sheep that was sort of like vulnerable and weak? Man, this pandemic made us feel that way. And, and yet we have a shepherd that has enfolded us and pulled us in and helped us through this struggle. Isn't it good to know that we're sheep of his pasture and that he's on the job? It makes me think of Psalm 23. I mean, it's, it's one of the most famous parts of the Bible, but let me just, uh, I'll give you a fresh version of it and let me just read through some of it and just think about how many ways God has helped us and blessed you as a believer. If you're a believer now, listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. All the joking about going to the store nothing was there the fact is folks everyone listen to me I'll bet you anything everything you needed ultimately was provided and and that all good gifts come from God God's a provider and when things got stressful we could say he lets me rest in green meadows lie down in green pastures right he leads me beside beside peaceful streams when everything's out of control isn't it nice to know you got a shepherd that can just help you find a quiet place of calm in the middle of it all and he renews my strength. He, remember, he restores my soul. Like when we just get exhausted and we're just done. And then he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Like when you're, what am I going to do? My kids are driving me crazy. I can't take another day of this school or my work or the problem or the stress or the news. I just, ah. Uh, and he can guide us in the right path. And then even when I walk through the darkest valleys of life, like when you lose someone or it's really dark. You don't have to be afraid. Why? You can say, because, because you, my shepherd, you're right there beside me and I, your rod and your staff, they comfort and protect me. God is protecting us, y'all. God is with us, y'all. He's a great shepherd. And he even goes on to say, he prepares a feast before us in the presence of our enemies and our cup overflows with blessing. Give a big old yes, yes, if the, if the Lord has filled your cup in a way that you can say, my cup overflows with blessing. Yeah, it's been hard, but man, we got a shepherd and it's an awesome thing. It's beautiful, man, it's beautiful. Let that fill your heart with gratitude and just be thankful that we have a sheep like that who can take us, I mean, a shepherd like that who can take sheep like us to, to, to still waters and, and green pastures. And I'm so grateful for that. But you know, this is one of those times where it feels like we've been at this long enough where I think we need to do more than enjoy our shepherd. And we need to start sharing them a little more. I mean, we've come together, we've weathered the storm, and now it's time to, to share that shepherd. There comes a time when we need to do more than be thankful that we're safe in the fold and go find others who need to find their way in. Listen to the language that Jesus uses about sheep and shepherds. One time, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. Here's what he says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Awesome, right? What a great shepherd. And when he saw the rest, like this whole crowds of more people, 
Man, his heart broke. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, who are his sheep. He's saying, you know what? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, are few. So pray, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's walking with disciples who are really, really glad they're sheep. <laughs> they're really, really glad about what Jesus is doing to bring healing and hope and all that to all these other people. But then he sees a whole bunch of others and he says, you know what? Do you see them? You know what I see when I see them? I see lost sheep. I see sheep that are wandering without a shepherd and he has compassion on them. And maybe the disciples were looking like we sometimes look and all they saw was godless people. All they saw were nuisance people, people that didn't look like them or act like them or people who were a drag on society, people who didn't agree with them on so many issues. Maybe that's what they saw. Jesus says, you know what I see? I see sheep without a shepherd. Sheep that belong to me, except that they're lost right now. Guess what? If, if we're going to learn to love and live like Jesus, we're, we're going to get better at seeing people like Jesus sees them. I know this. You know someone who needs a shepherd. So do I. I mean, we all do. Someone whose life is a little out of control, a little bit helpless and harassed. Maybe it's, maybe it's obvious they, they need some calm and some guidance and some direction or things are all upheaval right now. Or maybe they're, maybe they're not so, uh, maybe the aimlessness isn't so evident. They look like they've got it all together, but inside they're still sort of don't have a big purpose. Jesus sends us to love and to heal and to help. He comes to do that for us, but then, like in John 20, he says, as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. He is our shepherd, our beautiful shepherd, and now he's sending us. So I think we need to make a shift from Psalm 23 to be our, like our focal world right now, like thank you, Jesus, for being my shepherd. We need to make a shift from Psalm 23 to Luke 15. You're like, what are you talking about, Ben? It's like, well, Psalm 23 is about the shepherd whose eye is on me. Luke 15 is about a shepherd whose, whose eye is on someone else. It's time to shift our focus. It's time to realize that when Jesus comes to reach out to us, he sends us to reach out to others. That when Jesus brings healing to us, he does that so we can bring healing to others. When Jesus comes to bless us, he does that so we can be a blessing to others. When he comes to save us from our sins, it's so that we can say, hallelujah, thank you, shepherd, and have him send us so others can find the same salvation in Jesus' name. It's time to make a shift from Psalm 23 to Luke 15. It's like, what is he talking about? What are you talking about there? Well, the God, God's the shepherd of, not just my shepherd, he's the shepherd of everybody else. And that's what Luke 15 talks about. Let's, let's take a look at Luke 15 because it's going to help us see how we need to make a shift from just like God, keep us safe in our home and, and, and it's going to move my prayers to God. I want to know how you can help someone in, in another home right now. Luke 15, let's look through it. Verse one, 
This is Jesus um, one day with his disciples, and here's what's going on. Tax collectors, who were really bad people, and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. First, first of all, stop right there. You want to be like Jesus? Hang around sinners. I mean, there's lots of things Jesus did. This is one of the main things he did. All right? Hang out with sinners. Verses 2 and 3. The religious people were called Pharisees in those days, the teachers of religion. They complained about that. They didn't like it at all. Why? Because he was associating with such sinful people, even going so far as to eat with them. God eating with sinners, not okay in their book. Because they thought the church, they thought the people of God was pretty much a holding tank for the saints. They didn't know it was a hospital for the sinners. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. And so Jesus sees their incorrect attitude and he tells them a story. Verse 4, first part. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what's he going to do? Stop. Think about that. Guy's got a hundred sheep, one of them gets lost. What does the guy do? I mean, if you're, a, if you're the owner of that business, what's the smart thing to do? What's the practical thing to do? Well, I think it probably is you make sure you don't lose your 99. You cut your losses and you... Leave that one that's out wandering around. You can't risk the 99 for that one. You've got to do the right thing instead of running after that messed up, lost, bad behavior sheep, right? Well, wrong, <laughs> according to Jesus. Wrong if the shepherd really, really, really loves that one sheep, like he loves all of them, and if he knows it by name. And he longs for it and misses it. This guy's like a crazy shepherd, man. He's like, he's, the, look, at, look at this. The last part of verse four. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness? Leave them alone and I'll take my risk. I'll cut my, I'll risk that in order to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Can you see the crazy, this guy's a crazy shepherd. Crazy shepherd out. He's out there looking around. He's panicking. He's like, you know, I don't know if he had a flashlight or a torch. He's looking through the bramble bushes. He's calling that sheep by name. This is a snapshot of the picture of the heart of God that Jesus is giving. And if he finds it, what's he going to do? Is he going to beat it with a rod? You stupid animal. How many times have I told you not to run away? Listen to my voice. You, you just, you, you got what you deserved. I feed you. I protect you. How are you going to, you need me to protect you and scold it. Is that what the shepherd does? You know, a lot of people think that's what God would do if they ever came to him. That's not what happens. Verse 5 and 6, it says that when he has found it, his heart fills with joy and he puts it on his shoulders. Can you see that sheep with the legs around and the smiling shepherd walking carefully over the rocky ground back to the pen at night? And when he arrives, you call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. You want to know why God parties? It's when you find a lost sheep. That's what verse 7 says. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Friends, listen to this. God's heart aches for anyone whose heart is far from him. He's a crazy shepherd who's out there looking. If you want to grow, you've got to look more like Jesus. And Jesus reflects the heart of the Father. And friends, that means we got to know an answer to this question. How's your heart toward lost sheep? How's your heart toward lost sheep? 
As we shift from Psalm 23, God, thank you for being my shepherd and taking care of me, to Luke 15, God, help me to be a crazy shepherd mentality person who's willing to risk a little bit in order to bring someone home. God puts us on a mission just like Jesus' mission. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. You want to grow, you want to look like that. A couple of lessons. One, if you're lost, if you're far from God right now, you're not walking with the Lord, you, you don't have the Lord in your life, God misses you and longs for a relationship with you and is patient with you and waiting for you and calling out to you and you can find hope and joy and love and meaning and purpose and healing and order and sanity and calm and hope for eternity beyond the grave in Jesus. You can find all of that. And that's what this church is here for. We have a crazy shepherd attitude. We've been holding up for a while trying to figure out how to get through this thing, but we're going Luke 15 now. And we're here for you. This is a church for people who don't like church, for people who, who can't get along with Christians. This is a church for people who hate church. And this is exactly where you belong. Welcome home if that's you. Because we're a hospital for sinners whose lives are far from perfect, but we got room for you. Listen, if you don't have Jesus in your life, I hope you'll let him in and let him, let, let yourself feel those arms of his lifting you up and putting you around his shoulders and carrying you home. Jesus doesn't just call us to follow him, friends. When Jesus calls you to follow him, you know what? He, he does it so he can send you to reach people far from him. That's why Jesus says, the Great Commission is Matthew 28. Therefore, he says, um, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. These are Jesus' words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. And then listen to one more verse, and then I want to give you three practical takeaways. Here's the first one. Romans 1, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? That's a problem. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful, listen to the word, beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. We all got to ask, you know, are my feet beautiful? Are my feet beautiful? Not, not your real literal feet, right? Because they're gnarly and yellowed toenails and corns and all that ugly stuff on there. But is your life beautiful because God is using you in that beautiful process of helping someone call on the name of Jesus. When you love like our shepherd does, 
And you're going to follow that crazy shepherd into places where people really need him. And your feet will be beautiful when you do. So let's talk about three just practical ways. Super practical, um, like things that every one of us can do and are called to do in order to have beautiful feet and to be used by God in this process. Let me just give them to you. Ready? Number one. Friends, we, we got to talk to God about people who need the Lord. We got to talk to God about people who need the Lord. The best thing we can do is pray. Go before the creator of the universe, the most high God, and bring before him, let, let, bring the name, the picture, the life, the problem of the people that you know, and bring them before God in prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest knowing it all depends on God to change their heart, but that you're offering also part of your own self to be useful in the, in the process. When you pray, you know, you're not just praying so that you can kind of get stuff off your mind, so you can tell God what's on your mind. You're, you're pray- when we pray, we're trying to also get God's mind into our mind. And you know what? Because of the scriptures and Jesus, we already know what's on God's mind. And you know what's on God's mind? Lost people. Hurting people, straying people, people whose lives are in trouble, people who are floundering, who are, trying to, who are trying to get through life, making it look like everything's great, propped up with false images of success, but who are still facing a Christless eternity. That's what's on God's mind. So pray, pray hard, pray often, and pray with an achy, breaky heart. <laughs> I, know, I know achy, breaky is like a cheesy, you know, old country song achy breaky but you know think of those words about your heart ache and break what if we prayed like that for people who needed the lord my dear sweet mom man i love my mom she had a bit of a fall this week ended up having some fracture in a couple of places in her pelvic bone and part of her back it's like oh no getting ready to preach here you know when when you when you pray sometimes, you just kind of pray. You know, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Okay, let's pray. And you pray. And you just pray. And there's other times when prayers mean a whole lot to you. And so I was getting ready to preach. And the people who run the cameras and the lights and the, run the musicians and everybody gathered around. I said, I want to pray for your mom and dad. Boy, what do you think that prayer meant to me at that moment? It meant a lot more. Why? Because I'm so concerned for my mom. And when we pray with an achy, breaky heart, we're connecting with the heart of a father. That prayer means a lot to the father because he's so concerned about his lost sheep. And if we begin to feel the same thing, we're going to be closer to God. That's how you grow through COVID is learning how to talk to God about people who need the Lord. What can you pray? I, I love Ephesians 1.8. Let the, let the, my, I got a friend, Chris, okay? Chris, if you're listening, and I know he's not, but if he is, I'm praying for you this verse. I pray that Chris's heart will be able to understand. I pray that he will know the hope given by God's call. I pray that he will see how great the things are that you have promised to those who belong to him. Let me ask you a question. Pray that prayer, and who's your one? You're not called to save the whole world. None of us are, but who's your one? Who are you praying for? Hashtag pray for one. Get out of bed in the morning and say, God, who is it that you're going to put in my path today that I can show your love to and speak a good word for? Who's your one? Pray for one. 
Let God bring that person to mind. Might be someone close, might be a friend, a family member. That's what it was for Kate. A lot of you know Tim and Kate Kick. They've been part of this church for a really, really long time. We just love those guys. Tim's been a pastor here for many, many years. You know what? Before he was a pastor, he was just a guy his wife was praying for. God brought him up here and through her prayers and then the intervention of some other manly men who came around, some of her uncles and other family members, just showed him what it meant to be a man's man. Tim's a big old guy, but he learned what it is to be a man's man who can still devote himself to God. And he got his questions answered and he came here one night. Herb Townsend, one of the pastors, is talking to him. He's like, Tim, are you ready? And he says, yes. And he's baptized. And all those years of praying were delivered and fruitful in that moment. Listen, pray 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 and don't give up and leave the results in God's hand who's your one just get out of bed more here's your action point get out of bed more God put someone in my path today who needs you and then use me somehow that's the prayer God put someone in my path who needs you will you pray that prayer this week and then use me somehow We gotta talk to people who need the Lord about God. That's the second thing. We don't just gotta talk to God about people who need the Lord. Number two is we gotta talk to people who need God about the Lord, right? First Peter 3 says, be ready to speak up. Tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are. Always be ready to give a defense. You know, statistics show that we're getting more and more careful and reticent and cautious and silent about matters of faith when we're talking. We're bringing up these things less often. I think it's honestly because we're intimidated, we're afraid. We feel like we don't know enough or we're going to offend someone or that might be a turnoff. I mean, we basically are afraid that speaking about faith is, is sort of a, a, akin to passing gas in public. Like really just not, don't do that. And if you feel that way, man, the cat's got your tongue and we're gonna miss opportunities. But as the Lord just, be, as you pray for one and he begins to open our eyes, like this is a relationship I need to nurture and just be a friend, eventually opportunities will come for conversation and what do you talk about well you tell your story you be a witness you don't have to be a judge you don't have to be a a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney you just tell your story here's what God means to me number two you you just tell Jesus story you just listen and and when you understand what their need is you can help them see how Jesus meets it and and just say you know God loves you and his son came to die on a cross for you to forgive your sin and here's what it means in my life and then third you can invite be a bringer like Andrew in the Bible Jesus called him and the first thing he did is says to his friends come with me come and see for yourself be an inviter so you tell your story you tell Jesus story and you be an inviter that's kind of you know I think about Bill Bill um Bill, when he was in high school, every high schooler listen to me right now. When Bill was in high school, he did his best to be a witness and to try to talk to some of his friends about the Lord. And some of them just kind of didn't pay any attention. One of them called him up 36 years after graduation and said, you know what? Your influence, your words, and your witness in high school was a big factor in me coming to the Lord. (laughs) Or Glenn Glenn was finishing up work at UPS one day and a buddy in the parking lot shared with words 
truth about Jesus Christ and he accepted Christ right on the spot in the parking lot of UPS and that has changed their family's trajectory. These are all people that have been part of Mountain for so many years. That's beautiful, isn't it? And Jen. Jen got invited by Jeff and Susan Owens. She was a young adult, 19 at the time. She says she had plenty to be judged about and she was living some really crazy stuff at age 19. But they never judged me. They invited me and they showed me how to, to, to meet people where they are and love them to where Jesus wants them to be. I'm so thankful for that invitation. And Shane, my good friend, back in the 70s, oh man, he was wild. He went to pick up a friend of a friend at the airport, at the LAX airport, and he's driving him home. He says, you want to go get high? And his buddy says, I got a new way to get high. What's that? I'm, I want to get high on Jesus. And like, what in the world? <laughs> talk about a bunch of hippies. And they began to talk and play Frisbee. And the next thing you know, he accepted Christ and Shane has been a pastor of churches of thousands to this day because some guys opened their mouths. But it's not always big like that. Sometimes it looks like Pam. Pam just said she was in second grade and her little friend invited her to a sleepover and the next day they went to church together and she learned the songs and the stories and it sunk in her heart and she says they've stayed with me for a lifetime and I've been a Sunday school teacher myself for 19 years years these are beautiful it's beautiful or how about samantha from the very first aberdeen rooted group listen to samantha's story and what happened with her before i started rooted i was really questioning my faith and um this was going to be like my last ditch effort for faith for community for church for god's purpose for me so um oh i'm so sorry you guys my kid keeps running in and out <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, but I remember leaving the first meeting and already thinking about how much I love the people in the group. Um, so I thought, you know, if nothing else came from it, at least I would really, I would meet some really awesome people. But um, thankfully that wasn't the end of the journey for me. Um, each week I felt as though the um, lessons were directed right at me. And um, the Strongholds week was was really an eye-opener for me. Um, it, it opened my eyes to all the things that were getting in the way of my relationship with God. And through the stories of the people in my group, through the leadership, through the word of God, um, my faith has been restored. And I think it's um, stronger than it's ever been. And um, just like Linda, I, uh, at the end of the 10 weeks, decided to get baptized. And um, I truly feel renewed after, after that. And now um, I'm getting ready to co-facilitate a group and, you know, continue on this journey with our life group. And I just feel um, really blessed to be a part of Aberdeen. You know, I feel like I'm part of something significant in starting in this church and um, just feel blessed to be a part of Rooted and with these amazing people. So that's my story. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. So friends, what do we do? We talk to God about people who need him. And then we talk to people who need him about God. And then, maybe most important, just number three, let your actions speak. Let your life itself speak in a way that will draw people to Jesus. Be attractive. We've gotta, if we're going to have beautiful feet, we've got to do our best to try to live a beautiful life that will somehow have that same drawing beauty that Jesus had when people wanted to be around him. And I think in a time like this when we say things like let your light shine and 
that kind of thing. I think it means more now. Never underestimate the power of love, but especially right now. Sometimes right now, I I really think people are so raw and hurting that even the smallest act of love or kindness or hospitality or thoughtfulness, a gesture of caring, a listening, some empathy, some warmth, some concern in this climate and this environment is a huge opportunity. We had a great opportunity right here, right now to let our actions speak in a way that will open the heart. Sometimes uh, Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Our actions are so powerful right now as we deliver kind of cross-shaped, self-sacrificial acts of love and kindness in Jesus' name. You know, my friend Yawanda Day, she, she said when she was in college, she always heard people say things like, you can't be a scientist and believe in Christ. And she, she was perplexed. So she tried to hide her love for God for a while. But it was, it was when she went there on welcome day and two other people, chemists in that lab, bowed their heads and prayed. And then they, wrote, and they began to talk again. And they became her supervisor and long life friend. And it changed her forever. Simple gestures. You never know. And, and our friend Jen and Scott, they were going through a horrible time. But they had made some friends with some people from this church, the Magnuses. So when they were going through a time of losing their house, Their friends and small groups showed up in the ice and snow and helped them move. And then another time when Scott was out of town, they ran out of firewood and didn't have cash for a lot. So they were just trying to just try to get by with some portable heaters. Ethan showed up with a van load of firewood and wouldn't take any money for it. And she said, you know what? Normal people don't do that. And she's right. But Jesus' people do. Do you? And our friend Rena and Christian, when they were new to this country from India, a woman in her apartment invited her to a Bible study and took her all around because they didn't have a car, drove her to cake decorating classes and all kinds of other activities like that. And all the while, her example of warmth and concern and generosity opened the heart of Rena, who, be, who, who gave her life completely to Christ. Later, that woman would tell her, God nudged me to talk to you because I have hated Indians because of some bad past experiences. That woman was obedient to that call. Maybe she prayed her, her Lord, show me my one. And it was Rena. And the woman was obedient. And today, Rena and Christian are beautiful servants in our church because of acts of kindness. I could tell you about Amy, whose son Evan went off to college and met the Lord and came home and was different. He just was kind and joyful and she wanted that. And over time, he just shared the Lord with his own mom. And and, And I watched as they were baptized. He baptized his own mom because of the way he lived his life. And now their whole life is different. And Andrea Berry put this on my Facebook. My great grandfather was a barber across from his shop was a church that met in a storefront. Every day he watched the people going in and out of that storefront church and he saw how friendly and welcoming they were and he began to chat with them. He knew there was something different about them. And he was interested to see what made him that way. He finally summoned the courage to stay after work one night and he quietly stood in the back of the service and he listened. And drawn in by those people, he felt the spirit of the Lord inside of me ended up at the altar he accepted Christ as Lord he went home and invited his uh, she says my great-grandmother to come the next night she was very leery but she went 
And that night she also asked Jesus into her heart and that day they brought their entire family the next time, nine kids and they became involved in all the aspects of the church. Look at that family today, if you could see it, it's like literally dozens of people because sometimes you just gotta live the gospel even without words. Friends, it's beautiful. And I pray that you'll have a beautiful life like that. Let's pray. God, help us, Lord. Help these words to fall on us in the right way so we're not like guilted, but we're, we're invited to be beautiful in the sense that we'll talk to you about people who need you and show us our one. Help us to talk to others who need you. And then let our actions speak in a way that just point people to you because you are everything to us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.